You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 11. Are you hungry for the Word of God this morning? Mark chapter 11. Let's just pray before we peer into God's Word. Lord, would you as you've been already doing, continue to move in our hearts. We give you our full attention this morning to do what you will. I know when we peer into your word, you begin to reorient our lives, realign our lives, recalibrate our lives into alignment with your priorities and your kingdom values. And we say, Lord, have your way once again. Do something beautiful in our midst. You're the God who who takes the wide swath of a diverse hodgepodge community and draws into a unifying message of the kingdom under the banner of Jesus as as we look to the crucified Christ and your resurrection life that's meant to be manifested through us. Lord, we pray, have your way in us in your mighty name, amen. Several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tony spoke a message from John chapter 12 leading up to this passage um, that we find in in all four of the Gospels, with this moment when Jesus marches into, or really rides into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And I want us to look at that message, or look at that passage in Scripture this morning as we look towards Good Friday, towards Resurrection Sunday. Uh, next week, but Tony pointed us to the, the story in Bethany, the worship expression that, that Mary carried out there in Bethany, pouring out the, the pure nar, the perfume of worship, that fragrance to the Lord, and, um, and pointed us then to, to be ourselves, the fragrance of Christ, as 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, as, as we've been with him, that we follow him no matter the cost, this fragrance that leads us ultimately to the cross, that he was, wasn't just anointed with that fragrance to smell good, but he was anointed for, for actually his, for, his, for his death. So on this, in this passage in Mark chapter 11, we're going to see in the midst of the, the crowds, in the midst of the flocking, in the midst of the festivities of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the upcoming Passover fe- festivities in Jerusalem, we see in the midst of all of that a meek, humble Jesus riding on a donkey, not enamored, not at all impressed by the flocking crowds and all, all, the, all the praise and the glory of man, but instead with his eyes fixed on the glory of the Father. He was on a mission that day. And he wasn't swayed by the swooning of people around him. Instead, his eyes were fixed on something. And I want us to see where his destination is in this passage in Mark chapter 11. My question for us this morning is, will we be a part of the company of people who welcome King Jesus? There was a crowd of them that day, welcoming their, their king, welcoming their Messiah. That's the first question. Will we welcome King Jesus? The second question is, will ultimately, will we follow him then? 
Not only will we welcome him as king, but then will we follow him in where he's going. Because many welcomed him, but very few ended up following him to where he was, where he was going, where his destination was headed. The people in this crowd this day in Mark chapter 11, they were assuming Jesus was going to lead them into a political revolution, into a conquest over the Roman government. But Jesus was otherworldly. This king was, who had been displaying his kingdom for the last three and a half years was constantly turning on head the ways of this world. And here he was at it again. He was riding on a humble donkey, not riding in on a horse, but riding in on a, a donkey as a, as a king of peace. And he was pointing them towards something, towards ultimately towards the cross and the glory of the Father. As Bob Gladstone has said in the past, in the kingdom, kings carry crosses. And John chapter 12 says that this day that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, it says his soul was troubled. So that the header in most Bibles is the triumphant entry. But Jesus wasn't yet triumphant. There was this aspect of his soul that was deeply sobered and somber and troubled that day because his eyes were fixed on the Lord's purposes, on the Father's purposes. So I want us to look at our king this morning as he marches into Jerusalem, and I want us to see him rightly because he came in a certain way and he had his sights set on something that, that no one else did. His eyes were on the place that was meant to host the presence of God. Mark chapter 11, Jesus, at the end of this passage, we'll see he ends up in the house of God. He ends up in the temple. The people are flocking for the festivities and the, the busyness of the religious holidays, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover week. Jesus' eyes are on the temple. That's where he's headed this day. Because ultimately his eyes are set on the glory of the Father, not the glory of man. And so often we're distracted by all sorts of other priorities and agendas than what God is concerned with, concerned with. But I want us this morning to be a people that welcome our King and then follow him in his death and in his life. So let's read Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany... At the Mount of Olives, so these villages outside of Jerusalem that Jesus has been doing a lot of ministry in these days leading up to the week of Passover, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And I want us to take note of how calculated Jesus is in these final days. Everything is ordained and predestined by the Father, and he's so in tune with the agenda and the order of all of these steps. So he tells his disciples to go into the village in front of them and find this cult. The, the Gospel of Matthew tells us it's the cult of a donkey on which no one has ever sat. It's set apart for a sacred purpose. It can't be reused, it can't be common, it's set apart for this day 
untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Don't try that uh, here in Ames. Okay, this is, this is a, a specific uh, purpose, specific day in the work of the Lord. In verse 4, and they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it just as Jesus said. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they tried the line that Jesus gave them. And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. There was already quite the, uh, uh, the reputation that Jesus held in these, these villages of Bethany and Bethpage. I mean, just think of the, just the miracles that we have in Bethany alone of Lazarus being raised from the dead in that town of Bethany. Simon the leper being healed of an incurable disease like leprosy. Mary and Martha found their home in Bethany and and they were ones whose lives had been turned upside down by this, this self-proclaimed Christ and Messiah. And so word had spread. So that, that, that rationale of, you know, the Lord told us to, to do this, that actually passed the snuff test in Bethany and Bethpage because there was this sense of reverence for, um, for Jesus already. And they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which was a, a typical greeting for the festivities leading into uh, the festival of unleavened bread and of Passover, Passover's people made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This would be the greeting. Little did, they, little did they know that they were prophetically fulfilling what, Zechariah, uh, what the prophet Zechariah had said, that Jesus would ultimately be this one who would come in the name of the Lord, saving now the people of Israel. It said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meaning save us now, Lord. In verse 11, and he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. He wasn't all that impressed by all the fanfare. I mean, think of this one who literally came from his kingdom in heaven. He came from the throne in heaven. He left that for earth. We are so easily impressed by, by crowds and popularity and fame and success in this world. But Jesus left a vast arrays more than that in the kingdom of heaven to come to this earth. So he's not deterred by you know, a few hundred people all shouting his name and, and cheering for him. His eyes are set on a destination, and his destination is on the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He's beginning to survey the mission of the Father, which the next day, if you continue in the story, we'll, we'll, we'll see that Jesus ends up going back to the temple. That's the day that he cleanses the temple. He turns, turns the tables. He begins to call into judgment the, the, the abominations that were taking place in the temple, people profit, profiting off of, off of the, the ways of God, out, out of the house of God. So he had his eyes on the glory of the Father. And restoring the glory of the Father on the earth is going to cost him something. And this is where oftentimes people aren't willing to follow Jesus in his ways. So I want us to recognize in this passage three different groups of people. 
And I, I want this to be helpful for us as, as it leads us into this Holy Week and into Resurrection Sunday. Three groups of people. One are those who don't welcome the king. Because not everyone this day was gathered by the roadside welcoming their king, welcoming King Jesus. Some were so preoccupied in the religious festivities elsewhere. Some people were completely irreligious and had zero regard for God. So there there were those that did not welcome Jesus. But secondly, there there were those that welcomed Jesus, but they they weren't willing to follow King Jesus to where he was headed. Ultimately, to the cross. And thirdly, there were those that welcomed the king and they were also willing to follow him in his death and in his resurrection life. So firstly, will we welcome the king? Will we be amongst the people, that that company of people that welcome King Jesus, that both recognize our need for a king, for a savior, and then also welcome him gladly? Is that our desire? Is our desire to be saved? Is our desire for a king to come and rescue us? Is there this hunger in your heart to encounter the king for yourself? Because there was a whole population of religious people of his day that had no need for King Jesus. They were busy and they were content in and of themselves. They had their duties. They were content in their self-righteousness with the things as they were. And in fact, they'd prefer if a Christ did not appear, if a Messiah did not appear. Because things were just fine the way they were. And we find this largely in the religious scene today. A contentment with things just as they are. My life is comfortable. I don't want anything to come and disturb that. I'd prefer not to look towards this one who there's something in his eye that's otherworldly. I'd rather avoid eye contact with this one. I'd rather avoid the, the, the crowds of people shouting Hosanna on the streets. I'll stay preoccupied in my, my religious bubble. They were the ones who profited off the entire religious system. They didn't want Jesus as king to come and disturb things. Obviously, we know he came the next day and he, he disturbed things quite a bit. They had their positions. They had their ways of, of profiting off of things as they were. So will we welcome our king? Will we welcome this one who has his eyes set on the glory of his father? This one who wasn't deterred by crowds or by acclaim. This one who knew that these crowds would ultimately betray him. You know, Jesus' eyes were not on the Roman government. That was the large concern of, of most of the people of that day, the oppression of the Roman government. And they wanted a liberator, a conqueror, to free them from Roman oppression. Jesus was not concerned with, Ro- with Roman government. I mean, you look throughout the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and very, very little does Jesus even turn his attention towards the Roman government because he knew that his kingdom was not of this world. These kingdoms, they come and they go. These societal powers, they rise and they fall. And Jesus knew that. His eyes were on the temple. 
This little place on earth that God had carved out for himself to be a habitation amongst his people. This place to be present on the earth where his very manifest presence would be seen and known and glorified. It's really interesting, actually. Most scholars believe that at the time of Jesus, by the time Jesus stepped foot onto the earth, that the manifest presence of God actually wasn't there in the temple. It had, it had lifted. It had lifted from that place. You know, there had become so much clutter, so much distraction, so much um, deception that had fallen in to the, amongst the Jewish people that the presence of God had lifted. The question is, did the people even recognize it? Did they recognize the fact that the presence of God had lifted? And I wonder that about the church today. Do we wonder, or do we, do we recognize when God isn't present in our midst? Do we, do we recognize when that gentle kiss of his presence has lifted? So will we welcome our king today, this week? Will we welcome our king, our savior, the one who has come to save us? Will we actually desire that one who can save us from our self-effort and save us from our sin? Will we be amongst the people, the company of people saying, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now. That rowdy bunch of people throwing their garments on the donkey and throwing their garments on the ground, tearing off branches to honor their Messiah who had come? Will we be amongst the people who welcome our King? When your heart is humbled and you begin to actually seek King Jesus, your heart begins to be moved by his heart, by his priorities. The busyness of religion, or honestly, we don't even need just religion to be busy. Just life in general is busy in and of itself. In and of itself. And all of a sudden we have this moment where we catch a glimpse of Jesus, this humble king riding on a donkey. And the magnetic pull of the swirl of this life doesn't draw us in anymore. And instead we see him and his beauty, how different he is. He's different than all the other propped up kings of this world. We see this one who's not so much concerned about other people's agendas or his own agenda, but instead the agenda of the Father. Even the costliness of that agenda, which would ultimately be cost, costing him his life. And that's it. It's the purity of Jesus. And that's my prayer for this week leading into Easter Sunday. You see, there's always this temptation this time of year in the Western world to fall prey to just the religious noise. To fall prey to just the, what's expected of us given the time of year that it is on the calendar. But I so have a prayer for our city, for people to see Jesus clearly. Not to see religious busyness and religious noise, but to see the beauty of Jesus, this king who was otherworldly and came riding on a donkey. There's a group of artists from our church who set out this week to just allow Jesus to be seen purely. And you'll see all the front of our church on 13th Street aligned with these different pieces of art, which were people from our church that wanted Jesus to be seen beautifully. Alyssa Flotten led the charge, he spearheaded this charge of, 
I don't know how many there were, like nine or ten different artists that, that all wanted to express through worship, through the art of worship, uh, the face of Jesus, simply. Not to invite people to our church or to come to some event, but just to see a glimpse of Jesus this Resurrection Sunday time of year. It's the simplicity of Jesus, and that's my prayer, that more and more people would welcome him as king. They'd see their need for him. Uh, as of late, I was commissioned by the Chi Alpha team, uh, Pastor Alex and Katie. They asked me to, to go through the records of, of old Chi Alpha alum and reach out to old alum that even predated them. Um, that's how old I'm getting. I'm, I'm even <laughs> predating Alex and Katie and uh, the, the Chi Alpha crew. But going back in, in to the early days when Chi Alpha, when we just started Chi Alpha back in 2011, 2012, and it has been a real treat, honestly, to reconnect with some old alumni, um, and, I, and I say old with all the affection in my heart, old alumni that um, are still walking for Jesus. They're serving the Lord in the marketplace and in churches all across our nation, and it's such a privilege. But I got to reconnect with an, an old friend who encountered Jesus at Iowa State. His name is Trevor. Trevor partied his way through undergraduate at Iowa State, and uh, so much so that even while he was pursuing his mechanical engineering degree, the partying got so out of hand that he ended up in jail his junior year of college. And um, it was there in college, I mean, it was there in jail where his mind started to clear a bit and the Lord began to prick his heart. And there was something in him that, that knew he needed to begin to pursue God, although he didn't know what that meant. Well, the next day, as he got out of jail... He checked his email inbox, and in his inbox was an email from, from Chi Alpha at Iowa State University. And in the subject, it said, a place to encounter Jesus and grow with others. And it was an invitation to come to, to one of our worship gatherings. And, and Trevor, at that time, back in the day, the, the campus would actually let us send that email to 30,000 students. All 30,000 students got that email that the subject said, you know, a place to encounter Jesus and grow with others. And a number of students end up coming because of that and encountering the Lord. Well, Trevor was one of those students. He came that night seeking and eager, and he encountered Jesus for himself. It's that moment where he finally recognized his need for a king to come and save him, and he welcomed him gladly. But the reality is many welcome Jesus as king. Many do. And I was so excited to reconnect with Trevor and hear that he is continuing to follow Jesus in this way of living the crucified life so the resurrected Christ can be seen through him. And that's ultimately where we bring ourselves next. Not only will we welcome the king, but will we follow the king to where he's going, towards his death, and towards his resurrection life. Will we follow the king? Because although the crowd swelled this day as the, the swirl and the, the buzz of kind of messianic prophecies being fulfilled was in the air, most of this crowd dispersed. The sheep scattered when their Messiah was hanging on a tree. So many will welcome him as king, but many Others will not end up following him. 
as Tony told us, that, that beautiful fragrance that was anointed upon Jesus in Bethany was an anointment for his death. It wasn't a fashion statement. It was anointing him ultimately for his burial. And Jesus kept telling his disciples, that's where this is headed. This is headed from, t- towards me giving my life. But there is something in all of us that resists the cross. We resist this, this brutal, gruesome end. I, w- I want to ask the question, I wonder how many chose to look past the fact that Jesus was riding on a donkey and not on a horse. That's really what they wanted. They wanted this king riding in valiantly on a horse. A king riding on a horse meant he was coming for for conquest. He was coming to overthrow a government. A, A king riding on a donkey, which was something that was known about, that was a practice, but it meant something very specific. It meant he came in peace. I wonder how many looked at their king on the donkey and chose to overlook what it truly meant. Oh, he's not coming as a violent, you know, overthrower of the Roman government. He's coming differently. It's not what I want, but I'm going to choose to look past it. I'm going to see what I want in this one who's coming. There were a lot of things throughout Jesus' three and a half years that pointed people towards the upside down ways of the kingdom rather than what oftentimes our flesh wants and clings to. He wasn't coming for conquest, but rather he was coming in peace. He was coming to lay down his life. And this is the way to greatness in the kingdom that Jesus brought. This is now the new way of life for all of us that truly want to follow Jesus. Jesus said there's no greater love than this, that that a man lay down his life for a friend. Jesus said that if you want to be, be great, become a servant. But we hear these things and oftentimes we overlook them. We say, I'd rather look past that. I want to see the Jesus that I want. I want this one who points me towards the success and fame in this world and popularity in this world and towards the good life, towards the American dream. That's what I want. That's what I want to see in Jesus. But Jesus told us, that if you want to follow him, then take up your cross and follow him. Jesus says later through Paul that if we're crucified with Christ, it's no longer us who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us. And I want to talk about the crucified life because that's ultimately where this is headed and where Jesus is calling us to follow him. We don't live the crucified life to pay for our sins. Jesus already did that. He's the only one who could pay the payment for our sins. Instead, we live the crucified life because there needs to be an exchange of our life for his. For the resurrected Christ to be seen in and through us, there has to be an exchange of our life for his resurrection life to be made manifest. If this is difficult for you, to swallow this morning. This is difficult for you to to wrap your heart around. I would propose that you go back to step one and look again at Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day and welcome the king afresh. He needs to have your heart 
in full allegiance and devotion before you can really choose to follow him to where he is leading. It's not until we see him rightly that we can follow him rightly. And I believe this is the difference between joyless Christianity and the victorious Christian life. It's not so much about the level of sacrifices that he's going to call you to. Instead, it's about what has our attention. And our eyes are set on him. It's just like Jesus. He was willing to to endure what he endured because his eyes were set on a joy that was set before him. He could endure the pain of the cross because the glory of the Father was set before him as a prize, as a reward. And this is the life that Jesus is calling each and every one of us into. It's not an easy life, but it's the life that Jesus called us to follow. I was in, had a really interesting conversation with some friends just this week in my office as we were wrestling through what certain scripture meant for us and today as 21st century believers and it was a really, really good conversation. But something came out in that conversation I believe is really revealing even to myself. But there's a reason that we would prefer religious boxes that are easy to check, that are easy to measure. Do these rules and then we will be pleasing before the Lord and then we will live the full life that God has, has uh, destined for us. We like the tangible, we like the measurable, we like boxes that can be checked. Because it's much easier than crucifying the flesh and allowing the spirit, of, the spirit of the law to be made manifest in our life Monday through Saturday. Oh yeah, sure, I'll attend the service at 10 a.m. I'm gonna worship the Lord with all that I am for that hour and a half. And then I'm gonna go and I'm, I'm, gonna, be, I'm gonna lose my temper on my family. I'm gonna be cursing at traffic. I'm gonna be rude and belligerent to my employer or my employees, whatever it is. And we live our lives all, all the time then forsaking the very spirit of the law that is the crucified life. It's so easy for us to, to get into trying to read the letter of the law and apply it to our life and miss the spirit of the law. I mean, just think of the, the, the high level of calling in Ephesians chapter 5. This is... This is I say this humbly because this is my life, Monday through Saturday. Ephesians chapter 5, the high calling for any husband is for us to lay down our lives for our wives as Christ laid down his life for the church. So we, we can get all hung up on what the proper ways are to worship the Lord in a Sunday morning gathering or, or whatever it is, the religious things that we love to get hung up on. And the, the whole time then neglecting the more important things actually laying down our lives for our families. We can get all hung up on other things and and the the clear command to a wife is for her to submit herself lovingly to her husband and miss the very spirit of the crucified life that allows the resurrection power to be seen and made manifest in our lives. So that's what I'm talking about. It's the crucified life that that Jesus is calling all of us to. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward on the keys. John chapter 12, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is the exchange that I'm saying is necessary if we're actually going to follow him. 
There has to be an exchange of our life for his, for his resurrection life to be seen through us. There has to be an exchange. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. A.W. Tozer said that in the great divine exchange, God offers to trade our old selves, which have brought us so many problems, for new selves, which are Christ. If we truly were to take an inventory of our life, we would realize that we haven't served ourselves all that well throughout our history. And so the exchange really isn't a difficult exchange. He's asking us to lay down our lives for his resurrection life. We've mistreated ourselves. We always mess our our own lives up for ourselves. So he's simply asking us to lay ourselves before him on the altar so that he can allow his resurrection life to be seen through, uh, through us. So this morning, look at our king. Will we welcome our king? Don't just look at him, but look at where he's headed. Let us follow him so that we may gain life through him. Will we choose to follow through on what it means to truly follow our King and live the resurrection life that He is destined for us all? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.